3: Hello, you are listening to a brand new episode of Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim, where this week we are reviewing Disney's Jungle Cruise, plus all the latest movie and trailer news. I'm Tim Ifland, movie buff.
4: And I'm Lee Livingstone, entertainment journalist.
3: And we love to talk all things movies.
4: Yep, and today we're talking Jungle Cruise, based on the Disneyland theme park ride. This movie follows a small riverboat as it takes a group of travellers through a jungle filled with dangerous animals and reptiles, but this twist has a supernatural element.
3: It does indeed. Jungle Cruise is directed by Hal May Colette Sierra, who is directing the up-and-coming Black Adam movie with Mm -hmm. Dwayne Johnson, which has a whole lot of buzz around it with a screenplay by Michael Green, Glenn Ficarra, and John Requa,
4: The movie, of course, stars Dwayne Johnson, Emily Blunt, Jack Whitehall, Edgar Ramirez and Paul Giamatti, ran- randomly.
3: Very random, but we love to see him there. <laughs> we do. Lee, the immediate vibes I got at the beginning of this film was that this was going to be a light-hearted and mischievous adventure film. How did you feel straight out of the gate?
4: Yeah, it's very comparable to... A movie like Pirates of the Caribbean, isn't it? Mm. In its business model of turning a theme park ride into a movie. And it's got a very similar story too, doesn't it? It's also been compared to The Mummy. What do you think of that comparison?
3: Yes, I've heard people compare it to The Mummy. I also compare it to Indiana Jones. But what mm. sort of comparisons do you pull out of The Mummy with Jungle Cruise?
4: Well, you've got the brother as the sidekick, the strong female character, ah. the male adventurer. There's there's similar elements there. Yeah. There you go. Now This movie was delayed from 2019. So there's been a lot of hype and a lot of anticipation. And mm. I was actually wondering through this whether that coloured my judgment of it. I was a little bit underwhelmed, I have to say.
3: Oh, really? I was not expecting that.
0: Yeah.
4: I mean, look, it's not a bad movie. Don't get me wrong. And the pace of the movie is great. It's always on. But I just thought that that pace meant that we didn't get a lot of depth to the story or the characters. There were threads that were pulled together, especially in the third act, Mm. that didn't get the time they deserved. And I would have liked to have seen more of.
3: Yeah, I'm going to echo your statement. There was an incredible energy to this film. The yep. pacing, the editing style, all that was excellent. And you you really were introduced to these really big, bold, fun, colourful characters very mm. early on. But I do agree, especially in the third act, it may have got a little bit convoluted and things needed to be thrown in there, I guess, explaining and developing out the supernatural elements that this story had, mm. uh, had for audiences and you kind of didn't get deep enough into characters there. So yeah. I do kind of agree with you.
4: I mean, it is a family-friendly Disney film though. You you can't expect too much depth to it, but I, I expected more heart, I think, than I mm. saw.
3: Yeah, I think it was definitely more like cheeky and irreverent, but within that family-friendly space, cheeky mm. and irreverent, if you know what I mean, like nothing mm. too like untoward, but very much, you know, mm. you can sit down with your kids and it not yeah. be like cover your ears and eyes sort of thing. Yeah,
4: You say cheeky corny comes to mind as well but not in a bad way just in Mm. terms of the jokes there was a lot of dad jokes a lot of really silly jokes that Dwayne Johnson's character was throwing out there which I enjoyed I did chuckle along with them
3: yeah and Dwayne Johnson is the man for the job with delivering dumb dad jokes no doubt I think with that corny humor it's a throw to the, the humour that the ride, the original Disneyland Jungle Cruise ride has. It's mm. full of dumb dad jokes, you know, the classic, the backside of water and stuff like that. So they kind of <laughs> almost got that out of the way at the beginning and then set its own sort of agenda from there, I feel. Yeah.
4: Have you been on the ride at Disneyland?
3: Do you know what? I have. I have been on the ride. I've been to Disneyland. Weirdly though, I don't have many memories of it. But this film felt weirdly nostalgic and familiar mm. at the same time, but I can't actually close my eyes and imagine myself on The Jungle Cruise. Have you been on it?
4: Yeah, I'm pretty sure I've been on it as well. But Do you think yeah. that's a metaphor for the movie? Like, it, it's, it was nice and it was fun and it was a great experience, but maybe it might be a bit forgettable in time.
3: Oh, see, I feel like we're almost on maybe not opposite sides of the fence here, but I had a really good bloody time watching oh, this movie. Look
4: it was enjoyable. Don't get me wrong. It was enjoyable. And I, as I said, I wonder if maybe my uh, being underwhelmed was because I had such high expectations. I mean, you put together Emily Blunt, Dwayne Johnson and Disney and expectations are at an all-time high.
3: Yes, definitely. And I suppose when it's trying to play in this action adventure space Mm. there's a lot of baggage or expectations surrounding that and there were things that I compared with Indiana Jones here Mm -hmm. which I mentioned earlier one being the music but I think we'll touch on that later Mm. but there was even those visual cues to what like a classic 80s adventure film might have and in Indiana Jones they always had this scene transition where whenever Indy was traveling by plane to his next destination, there'd be that animated plane flying over the map. And they kind of threw to that in this Mm -hmm. where You could see the Amazon animated map and the, and the cruise ship kind of, you know, riding along there. So I kind of liked those little nods to the genre.
4: Yeah, that was good. I enjoyed that. When we're talking about the ride though, Jungle Cruise is quite a slow ride from what I remember. Yes. And you know, things pop out at you along the waterway. The first part of the movie felt very much like that. And I found it quite slow to get started, and because it took a bit of time to get going, there was no time left to explore these story threads. As I said,
3: yeah. Did you think that um, the tears of the moon set up that intrigue surrounding the mythology of the story and the mystery and the legend with the Spanish conquistadors? Mm. Do you think that was the thing that was left to left in the gutter, just got washed yeah. away?
4: Yeah. Mm. And there's this big revelation in the third act that yes. I really would have liked to have seen more of.
3: I felt like that was a little bit tacked on. It really mm. interested me, but it almost felt a little bit abrupt that I was like, "Oh, uh I didn't one I didn't see this coming," which for me, I never see anything coming, <laughs> so it's always a surprise. Yeah. But I say that in the in the sense that I just didn't really be able to look back and go, oh, of course, that's mm. why that was the thing. Like, how
4: did you feel about that? Yeah, they hadn't set it up. It was a nice surprise. Mm. I enjoyed it. I just wish I had seen more of it. That's where the excitement of the film really lay, I think.
3: So I think a lot of the excitement and anticipation, like you alluded to before, mm. was the triple threat in Emily Blunt, Dwayne Johnson and Disney How did you feel about Emily Blunt's performance in particular?
4: Oh, I love her. I can never say a bad word about her. Emily Blunt is wonderful. She always is. And I always enjoy watching Dwayne Johnson. You know that about me. Listeners will know that. I love Dwayne Johnson. (laughs) And there's a great chemistry between the two of them too. They have this easy, natural way of interacting with each other. And I wonder if that's because they got on so well off screen. I mean, it comes down to the acting too, but they were known for having this great rapport off off screen.
3: Oh, And you see that in all the marketing collateral, don't you? All the interviews Mm. that they're doing with publishers around the world, they are just, you know, jabbing each other in the side. There's a lot of great chemistry with them Mm. in that space. And I think that translates so well onto the screen. You have Emily Blunt, who's insanely charming instantly Mm. in this movie. She's funny, charismatic thoughtful as well and really, really strong. And then I was going to ask you, I think you've already answered this question, that does your adoration of Dwayne Johnson, has that increased after this film? Because he is bloody good in
4: this. He's enjoyable to watch, absolutely. The only thing I will say is I didn't feel the sexual tension between them.
3: Yeah, that was weird, a little bit.
4: They've got good chemistry, but it's not a sexual chemistry.
3: No, no. So that was a bit of a hard pill to swallow for you. Yeah. Can we talk about Jack Whitehall.
4: Yes, please. I have some things to say about this character.
3: Yeah, go on. Tell me what you thought.
4: I was actually really disappointed with Jack Whitehall's character of the brother. He's a pretty useless sidekick, which, you know, is the point of the brother in these films. It's very similar to The Mummy in that sense. But when they combined it with this fleeting, superficial reference to his sexuality, his character just became the epitome of tokenism. And it wasn't woke, which I think it was trying to be, it was just doubling down on this stupid stereotype of the fashion-loving fussy gay, which irritated me. And, you know, at least John Hannah's Jonathan in The Mummy was an idiot, but he had purpose. I didn't feel <laughs> that Jack Whitehall's character had purpose, unfortunately. And that's no dissing of Jack Whitehall. He was great in the character, but the character itself, I just thought was pretty pointless.
3: Yeah. Look, I hear you there. I guess I, it didn't really bother me as much. Like I identify as a gay man. Mm. And, you know, maybe those stereotypes should upset me a little bit more, but maybe I'm blinded by how much of a fan I am of Jack Whitehall. Yeah,
4: he's great. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Have you seen his Netflix series Travels with My Father?
4: Yes. And wasn't he just like his father? <laughs> yes, he was
3: <laughs> just like his father. And I think I just got a real bloody kick out of that. Yeah. He was that classic comic relief that is part of the adventure film staple. And I at times I did feel that he was quite endearing all the same, but then not annoying. But it sounds like we, we're not on the same page there. But I did like his relationship with his sister mm. uh, in Emily Blunt. thought that played out quite tenderly at times. But,
4: again, they could have delved into that a bit more and given the character more depth. I yeah, Yes. Uh, I just felt that he was a bit superficial and tacked on.
3: An idiot with no purpose. <laughs> the worst kind of idiot.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Can we talk about the production design and the digital effects? Okay, so – Mm. This film felt I don't know if this was just because I was watching it on a small screen and I do want to say that actually I feel like there would have been a difference in how I received this film if I'd seen it in the cinema
3: absolutely it
4: felt extremely digitized to me especially in London in the beginning and when they were arriving in Brazil and it's not seamless on the small screen unfortunately.
3: Yeah, I got those vibes as well. I did find that they had some really beautiful lighting. They had huge effects. Sometimes that it blurred the lines and it looked a little bit fake. But they also threw in some breathtaking set pieces, stuff that was like quite tangible. And I think that is part of the charm of an adventure film that the aesthetic of the locations and the creation of real sets gave it a really distinctive look and feel at times, but the balance was a little bit off.
4: Did they convince you that they were in this location though? Because you have a big thing about spatial awareness. And for me, mm. there was just not enough of the landscape and taking in what was around them to really put me there and suspend that disbelief.
3: Mm, I'm particularly thinking about the town by the Amazon right. river before the, 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 the cruise kicked off. I mm. quite liked that that was real and a bit gritty and it was very, touch you could touch it it was Mm. very tangible but yes i do feel like the spatial awareness lacked a little bit of depth there and it had this kind of like pastel i don't know it had this like sheen about it that felt very digital effects heavy which i think is what you're alluding to
4: there are some beautiful moments though there's a couple of points where you get a sense of the era and the surroundings when we're seeing the world through this hand-cranked silent movie camera that um, Lily Mm. Houghton, Emily's character, has brought with her, which was lovely, really lovely touch, but we didn't get much of it. Do you think
3: that the film in general, maybe not to that level of CPR and and flickering image of what a silent film looks like with the camera, do you think we needed more of that sort of aesthetic and that would have sat well with you?
4: Not that particularly, but just more of setting the time and setting the location, like – So at one point the characters are marvelling at like some fish, some magical aquatic creatures, which I don't want to give too much away, but there isn't much of it. You know, you're in the Amazon. Really take us to the Amazon.
3: I mean, even Dwayne Johnson's character, Frank, kind of alludes how dangerous it is out Mm. there, but it was very shortcoming in, you know, where they were in the Amazon with these incredible rich flora and fauna Mm. that, yeah. They didn't really lean into that very much.
4: And I think that, again, comes down to the pace of the film. It's a great pace, really cracking pace, but at the same Mm. time it doesn't leave much room for really developing these kind of aspects.
3: Now, how did you feel about the music here? Because I Mm. alluded to earlier that it often verbatim felt like the Indiana Jones score, which played really heavily into the adventure genre for me. It was quite nostalgic.
4: I quite liked it. There's one moment I really want to call out in a pivotal sort of expositionary in the film where they play Metallica's Nothing Else Matters, mm. which felt quite random when you think about it and when you talk about it, but the arrangement was so beautiful that it was just seamless. I loved it.
3: I actually didn't pick up on that. Am I? Mm. <laughs> Did I watch the same movie? <laughs>
4: <laughs> it was very subtle, but that's what I mean. It was very subtle, so it worked. Mm. And I just kind of went, oh, that's Metallica. And you wouldn't expect that in a Disney film, but I really enjoyed it.
3: Yeah, Awesome. All right, Lee, do you think we're ready to wrap up and rate our take on Disney's Jungle Cruise?
4: We are. Let's do it.
3: So for me, Jungle Cruise is Indiana Jones meets Pirates of the Caribbean, and what a dazzling mix that is. I appreciate making those comparisons might flare up some reactions, but I don't associate this film to those classics lightly. Cruise holds its own brilliant contribution to the adventure genre in every way. Blunt and Johnson are a pair I cannot wait to see again, and I feel this could be one of the most unsuspecting surprise hits of the year, and I loved every minute of it. So I'm going to rate Jungle Cruise three and a half popcorn kernels.
4: Okay, well, Jungle Cruise definitely isn't a bad movie, despite what it might sound like I'm saying, but it left me feeling a little underwhelmed after being so excited to see it. It's one of those adventure films that would definitely have more impact on the big screen where the big, bright visuals and fast-paced action can better cover the leaky, creaky story. Having said that, Emily Blunt and Dwayne Johnson are delightful together and it's an energetic, family-friendly film that is really fun to watch. I'm going to rate Jungle Cruise 3 out of 5 popcorn kernels.
3: Well, there you go. Jungle Cruise is in Australian cinemas now pending lockdown restrictions. So check your local cinema for details. Jungle Cruise is also available on Disney Plus with premier access and a pre-existing subscription to the service.
4: Okay, Tim, let's move on to the news.
3: Absolutely, Lee. But before we do, we have a big Ticket giveaway for our Australian listeners to see Reminiscence, which is in cinemas from August 19. The sci-fi film follows a private investigator of the mind as he searches for his lost love. And it stars Hugh Jackman, Rebecca Ferguson and Tandaway Newton.
4: To be in with a chance of winning one of five double passes to see the film... Head over to the Popcorn Podcast Instagram or Facebook page. Make sure you're following us and share your favourite Hugh Jackman movie in the comments of the giveaway post.
3: Now, this breaks Lees and my hearts, but unfortunately, due to current lockdowns, this ticket giveaway is not open to New South Wales residents, but we'll have another giveaway coming very soon that New South Wales will be able to enter. So look out for that one, guys.
4: Now, Tim, this week we were treated to not only the first character posters for Ridley Scott's House of Gucci movie, but also the first trailer. And wasn't it fire?
3: Oh, just loved this up big time. Yeah,
4: And set to um, Blondie's Heart of Glass was just perfection. Oh,
3: God, it's been a while, but I've just got chills again. The Popcorn Podcast <laughs> recording session, chills. It was just such a perfect song to mix in and using with yeah. the visuals. Just stunning. Yes, Ugh.
4: The story spans three decades of love, betrayal, decadence, revenge and ultimately murder where we see what a name means, what the Gucci name is worth and how far a family will go for control.
3: So it sounds like it's covering off a lot of juicy, juicy stuff in there. The film is inspired by the family empire behind the Italian fashion house of Gucci and stars Mama Lady Gaga, Adam Driver, Al Pacino, (laughs) Jeremy Irons, Selma Hayek and an unrecognisable Jared Leto.
4: What a cast. And I cannot wait to see Lady Gaga in this role. Oh, my goodness.
3: Oh, gosh. The... Um, what is it? Father, Son, House of Gucci, like right at the end. <laughs> Loved it.
4: Yeah. House of Gucci is coming to Australian cinemas this year on November 25.
3: So speaking of trailers, we got a new Ghostbusters Afterlife trailer, which teases a bit mm-hmm. more from the special effects of the movie and shows some cameos. And it also alludes to a special reason. Dr. Egon Spengler has this house in the middle of nowhere that he left to his family. Mm-hmm.
4: Are you excited to see this film? I think they're giving a bit too much away.
3: Yes, that's a gripe of yours, isn't it? And I share that same gripe. Trailer that give away too much.
4: And also I'm worried with this franchise that focusing it on kids is going to take away some of that edge Mm -hmm. of Ghostbusters, some of that darkness. It's going to turn it into a bit of a Goosebumps kind of film.
3: Mm. Yeah, that's an interesting take. I mean, hopefully with the inclusion of Paul Rudd's character, he's a science teacher, right? Maybe that will give it that injection Mm -hmm. of adult of adult humour or I don't know what I'm trying to say.
4: No, I don't know. I'm, I'm concerned and I'm a bit pissed as well that they're completely ignoring the female reboot, you know, it just, that kind of irritates me. It was like, that was a really actually quite good film. And it
3: was, I loved
4: it. It didn't deserve the backlash that it got and that kind of irritates me. It put me on the wrong foot with this film already.
3: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, hopefully uh, the sequel that stars Paul Rudd, Finn Wolfhard and McKenna Grace, expected in Australian cinemas on December 2, proves you wrong and it's a good fun ride,
4: Now, I'm going to pronounce this name wrong, but Reggie Jean Page of Bridgerton. That's not how you say it. I'm pretty sure it's like Reggie. Reggie. Oh. Reggie. <laughs> <laughs> say it again. Anyway. <laughs> The hot guy from Bridgerton will star in a remake of The Saint for Paramount. And the movie will be partly based on the 1920s book series about Simon Templar, a Robin Hood type criminal and thief for hire, also known as The Saint.
3: There has previously been a 1960s TV series starring Roger Moore and a movie that starred Val Kilmer back in mm. 1997. But this is supposed to be a completely new take that reimagines the character, in inverted commerce.
4: Another trailer. We were spoiled for choice with trailers this week. Uh, we got a first look at the King Richard biopic, starring Will Smith as the father of Venus and Serena Williams, and the movie focuses on their journeys to tennis superstardom.
3: This is a story that I didn't know I needed, but I'm really mm. glad that it's here because the trailer gripped me in, Will Smith looks like he's about to turn one of the best performances mm. of his career. How did you feel after mm. watching this?
4: Yeah, it looks great, but it makes me wonder why are we getting a film about him? Is it going to be more about Venus and Serena once it opens up? I'm, I'm curious that it's not their story.
3: I think it is his story. I think it's the father's story, but we love a franchise in Hollywood, so maybe we'll get a Venus <laughs> film and a Serena film and we get this perfect trilogy <laughs> tennis yeah, <maybe>. biopics <laughs> who knows <laughs> yeah
4: now speaking of King Richard the director of that movie Ronaldo Marcus Green also directed the upcoming Joe Bell and we got a trailer for that drama starring Mark Wahlberg as a father who goes on a reflective walk across middle America to pay tribute to his gay son
3: yes yeah, very emotional story people are absolutely mm. raving about the performance of Reed Miller who portrays the bullied son Jaden um yeah I had friends who watched the trailer that we published Mm. on our social accounts be like, why did you post that? It made me cry. It's so emotional. (laughs) So, yeah, it's really resonating with people. Uh, And it will resonate with you from October 7 when it lands in Australian cinemas.
4: Had some juicy news this week, Tim. Mm. Scarlett Johansson is suing Disney over the simultaneous streaming cinema release of Black Widow. We've talked a lot about this new strategy in the podcast over the last, you know, year and a half that we've been Mm. in lockdown. This lawsuit claims a breach of contract which limits her ability to receive the lucrative back-end payments that if it had been released in cinemas only. What do you think about this, Tim?
3: It's really interesting territory, unknown territory, because the face of international cinema distribution has completely changed, as you alluded Mm -hmm. to in the last, you know, 18 months. So, I'm surprised it's taken this long for an actor to kind of come out and say, hold on a minute, Mm. my contract says this, but you delivered that and I need to be remunerated accordingly.
4: Yeah. Mm. And we've heard from directors about this who aren't happy about the straight to streaming because that wasn't in their agreement. They make their films to be seen on the big screen. Mm. On the one hand, I totally get that. And, you know, good on her for, you know, she should have maybe been able to renegotiate her contract based on the new circumstances. Yes. good for her fight for what she's worth on the other hand like read the room you've been paid millions and millions of dollars for this role mm. and we're in the middle of a pandemic and the arts industry is suffering like the only way I can see her coming out of this and saving some face is if she donates the money that she gets
3: oh that's a or really... some of
4: the money that she gets I think that would be a good move but yeah mm. I'm so torn because also you like go girl yeah fight for what you're worth But also, not the time, maybe.
3: Well, in terms of reading the room, this is how a Disney spokesperson responded. And I quote, There is no merit whatsoever to this filing. The lawsuit is especially sad and distressing in its callous disregard for the horrific and prolonged global effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. Disney has fully compiled with Miss Johansson's contract and furthermore, the release of Black Widow on Disney Plus with Premier Access has significantly enhanced her ability to earn additional compensation on top of the $20 million she has received to date. So they're not having a bar of this, are they?
4: No, and they have a point that they have complied with the contract, but that contract was made in a completely different world.
3: Mm, Definitely.
4: And it's going to be interesting to see whether this opens the door for more people, if it sets a precedent.
3: Yes. Well, Jared Butler has actually filed a lawsuit against the Angel has fallen, Olympus has fallen's franchise to say that he's owed back-end profits. uh, Not in the same wheelhouse as it being streaming, based on a streaming Mm. whatever release, but from a couple of years ago. Um, yeah, so I don't know, maybe it's this new floodgate that's opened up and people will stand up and fight for you know what they mm. see as is owed to them.
4: And look, during this time, massive studios haven't really taken the hit that the rest of the industry has taken. Mm. And so sending the films straight to streaming at the same time as putting them in the cinemas is really cutting the cinema industry off at the knees yes. to line their own pockets. And, you know... Everyone's taking a hit, so why not them too?
3: Exactly. Well, let's keep an eye on where this develops and we'll bring it straight to you in our next news section of the podcast next week.
4: So more Disney news with Tiffany Haddish and Lakeith Stanfield both in talks to star in the remake of The Haunted Mansion based on the iconic Disneyland ride which opened in 1969. And that takes guests, you know, through a creepy manner with ghosts and ghouls Mm. and all that jazz. This movie has already been made, hasn't it?
3: Yeah, so we've we've had a movie based on this ride back in 2003. It starred Eddie Murphy and it was widely considered to be a critical flop and certainly a financial flop. It had a budget of $100 million and barely made that back. So I'm very mm-hmm. interested in why they're deciding to remake a bit of a flop of a project, you know, almost 20 years ago.
4: Do-overs seem to be the thing at the moment, mm-hmm. <laughs> don't they?
3: I also can't stand Tiffany Haddish, so I'm already on the back foot personally for this, but love to see Lakeith Stanfield involved.
4: Well, that's it for the news this week, Tim. Guys, don't forget to check out our YouTube channel for the trailers we've just talked about and make sure you're subscribed to Popcorn Podcast because we have some super exciting interviews coming up. Can't reveal all of them Mm -hmm. right now, but we can say that the director of the Suicide Squad, James Gunn, will be joining us in our next episode.
3: Oh, gosh, I cannot wait to share that with you. My goodness, so exciting. Oh, guys, well, that was our episode of Popcorn Podcast where we reviewed Jungle Cruise, which is in cinemas now and available on Disney Plus with Premiere Access. All right, guys, as always, thank you so much for listening.
4: We'll catch you next time. Come and join in the conversation. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at Popcorn Podcast.